Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. We've got off-season workouts going on down in Tampa Bay with Mac Jones and his favorite wide receivers. No, no Devontae Parker yet, but... Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers down there in Tampa with Mac. We have the Devontae Parker trade to break down. This is the first time that we have spoke uh, since the trade. And we have the fallout of the trade. It's full offseason swing right now for the Patriots. I, I know the offseason has officially begun, Alex, when we get the first offseason workout montage of the uh, of April here uh, and, and as we move forward. That, that's when we really get into the, the thick of the offseason, come May, June, July, when there's really nothing else going on. And all we have is Mac Jones throwing against air to Jacoby Myers down the field. We're not quite there yet. We're going to start with the Devontae Parker trade. but uh, Which just became of, official, by the way, as we so came online. I was, I was waiting for that to happen. So it just became official now, Devontae Parker a member of the New England Patriots via the Miami Dolphins, former 2015 first-round pick. Once again, Alex, this is the first time that we've been on the pod to react to this trade. Before we get into all the domino effects and all the where we go from here's, how is your feeling just solely on the trade in a vacuum? Devontae Parker in a fifth-round pick in 2022 for a 2023 third-round pick going back to Miami. Yeah, I think it's a good trade. I I think you can't really hate it. You look at what Parker's upside is, right? Uh, Potential thousand yard guy. And I've gotten some heat for saying that uh, on Twitter. He had a thousand yards two years ago with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Second year Mac Jones should be better than Ryan Fitzpatrick was in 2019. So he's got to stay healthy, which is a huge if. And we should just throw that caveat out there for the entire show, because I think it's going to come up quite a bit. He has to stay healthy. I'm not as concerned with his injuries as some people. I think it's the red flag. I do. But it's not like he's missing huge chunks of time. Although right. he's only played one full season, which is alarming. Uh, to, to put a little silver lining on it, he's never played fewer than 10 games. So he does, it, it's not like he's not, like, remember last year we did this with Hunter Henry. Right. Where it was, oh, he's missed all this time. Like he had missed full seasons. Parker's never missed more than six games in a season. Only one full season. So, like, you can go both ways with that. Um, That's obviously the big caveat. That's the big if, right, with this. If he's healthy. I think if he's healthy, he's an upgrade over Nelson Aguilar. He's now their best wide receiver. I think they're going to have a way to use him. They needed that big body guy, that contested catch guy. Guys like that with a very accurate quarterback like Mac Jones you can take advantage of. There's also going to open Kendrick Bourne up to do a lot more. I think Bourne 
by default kind of became their contested catch guy last year in some situations, at least down the field. We all remember, right, the throw to from from Mac to Bourne against Cleveland for the touchdown yeah. was probably the year. That that was probably the best in terms of like, you know, skill level. That's probably the best play the Patriots made all year on the yeah. offensive side of the ball. And Kendrick Bourne's not that's not necessarily his skill set. It's great that he can make that catch. I want to see him getting open and then creating with the ball in his hands, right? That's the kind of pass you throw Devontae Parker. And Bourne's what, 5'11", I think? Um, Parker's 6'2". So you just have more opportunity with that with that kind of throw. I, and ultimately, oh, they give up a top 100 pick. Well, they moved down. It was a pick swap. It doesn't right. really feel like that because it it's split over two years. Maybe they have a guy they like in the third this year. They didn't want to part with that pick. You know, who knows what the board will look like next year. They'll take their chances next year. They'll get the comp pick, which by no reason means that this is nothing, right? You could have had two thirds next year. You still gave up a top 100 pick, but move down 80 spots to see if Parker still has it. And Parker's a top 32 receiver in the league. If he does still have it, you can't hate that, right? You really, as long as he stays healthy. And if you're worried about that, that's fine. That's fair. As long as he stays healthy, it feels like a, a pretty safe deal. This isn't just blindly trading a second for Muhammad Sanu and then trying to force him out there on a bad ankle. Like that was yeah. a mess. People have compared right. it to that. This it's not that it's a different move. So Devonte Parker's injury history is all soft t- tissue stuff. It's hamstrings, it's pulls, it's things like that. On the one hand, that's a concern when a guy has consistently, especially a skill player, those soft tissue type of injuries. But on the other hand, you do hope that, potentially the Patriots strength and conditioning staff can do a little bit better job of keeping him healthy and keeping him on the field. That's not to say that the Dolphins have some notoriously bad strength and conditioning staff, but you just hope that the guys here in new England who were able to keep Hunter Henry on the field, for example, like you said, and yeah. So I can just cut in like Hunter Henry raved about that at the end of the year last year, how important it was for him to play a full season and how much the team helped him get his body in shape to be able to play a full season. Like that's, does it guarantee he's going to play 17 games? Hardly, but that's also not nothing. It's, it's something to pay attention to here. So here's the thing, the way that I look at it in terms of roster construction is that I, I truly believe that Bill Belichick looks at wide receivers. I think we, I shouldn't say we, but I think a lot of people look at wide receivers as, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three on the depth chart, right? In terms of pecking order and is this guy a number one wide receiver and is he a guy that is the top dog in an offense? And maybe Devontae Parker can half check that box. I don't think he fully checks it just because you don't know if he's going to be out there for 17 plus games, but maybe he when he's out there. I think when he's out there, he checks it. I, I think he's close. But bigger than that, I think with with Belichick and the Patriots, they look at the wide receivers by roles and, and by almost creating a basketball lineup for different types of wide receivers, right? You got guys like Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar who are your wings, a little bit more finesse players, guys that are faster, the guys that play more on the inside. Those are the types of guys that maybe you're one through four. The Patriots looked at their depth chart and said, we don't have our power forward. We don't have our center. We don't have a big bodied 
outside guy that can go up and win at the catch point because that guy's supposed to be Nikhil Harry, but he's obviously not living up to those expectations. So I think when you look at it now, you see a guy that since 2019 has led the NFL in contested catches. This is not a burner. This is not a separator. This is not an elite speed guy. This is not an elite route runner. This is a go up and get the football type of wide receiver. And when I wrote my film review about Parker on CLNS.com, I went back to that throw that Mac Jones had the interception against Buffalo in the wild card round opening drive, Micah high going over the top. We talked about the play after the game. I'm sure Alex here on the pod, Nelson Aguilar never went up for the ball, right? He runs the double right. move. He gets behind the defense he creates that separation. Mac puts the ball up there on a platter and Nelson Aguilar is waiting on the football, trying to let it drop in the bucket and drop in his hands with a guy like Parker, six, two, six, three with his size and his alpha mentality, that mentality of when the football is in the air, it's my ball. It's nobody else's ball. It's my ball. He makes that catch. Does he get into that position? Does he blow by the defense like that? Not necessarily, but when Matt Jones puts that ball up between two defenders, he's one of those guys that's going to win down the field and make sure that he's the one that comes up with the football. And I don't think the Patriots felt like they ever really had that consistent of an option in that vein. When I look at the way that he runs routes, when I look at the way that he can be used, I do go back to a 2018 Josh Gordon comparison. I heard the 2014 Brandon LaFell comparison uh, as well. That one is not terrible either, where you're just looking to get a guy that can run that vertical route tree, hitches, dig routes, slants, fades, right? That, that's going to be, he's going to be a three or four route guy, but he's going to do it at a pretty good level. And especially the down the field stuff, he's going to do it at a very good level. And they now have a receiving core when you throw in the tight ends as well, where you say, there's some matchups here, right? If you don't have a good outside corner that's got some size to go up against Parker, if you don't have a box safety or a linebacker that can run with tight ends, if you don't have a inside defenders that can hang with two good slot receivers and Born and Myers, they might not have the best receiving uh, core on paper. They might not have Tyree Kill. They might not have Devontae Adams, but they have a bunch of different guys that can do different things and are good in different ways. And, and I think that that's, kind of what they're going for here with this Devonte Parker trade on the one hand, I do have reservations because he's not that route runner that we've seen work here in the past. This is not Julian Edelman. This is not Wes Welker. This is not Dion branch even, right? This is a true big outside receiver that wins at the catch point. That's not typically what they do well. And you mentioned that 2019 season with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the one difference I would say, I, I would agree that Mac is obviously a better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is a YOLO quarterback. He's somebody that is a gunslinger that's going to be willing to throw those jump balls down the field and willing to push the football outside the numbers. Is that going to ever be a high volume role in this offense? Is Mac Jones going to give a guy like Devontae Parker, 40 contested targets a year. Because that's how you produce in that role, is if you have volume. And then you turn that volume into a 50, 55% catch rate, and now all of a sudden you have good numbers. Is that 
ever going to be a big enough role in their offense or are they really looking at Parker as more of a niche guy that when they wanted to use that role, when they get that one-on-one backside, when they are in the red zone, potentially down by the goal line, they want to throw him a fade or have him box out in in tight quarters. Is he more of a niche guy or is he a volume guy for the Patriots moving forward? I think is something that remains to be seen with this trade. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Betonline is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info and odds. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's odds for the Masters Championship and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Betonline is your continued source for all your sport wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, I'd say at the same time, though, clearly having the burner at the X wasn't the wasn't the answer, right? They didn't get the production they needed from Nelson Aguilar there, or frankly, last year with Demir Bird. The, those two put up very similar numbers, which tells me it's the role. So. I guess he could be a you know a niche player and a situational player. I yeah. I don't think they give up a top 100 pick for a situational player. This tells me that the X role is going to look different this year than it has the last three years, two three years. Right? That's more how I read it. So my concern, right? I, I guess my concern is is that although I definitely think that Nikhil Harry has to stomach some of the blame here, right? He has to take some of the reason why, if not the majority of it, of why it hasn't worked out here in New England. But we've talked a lot about this, and that is, did they ever really use him in the best possible way, right? Did they ever really allow him to be the guy that was going to allow him to thrive in their offense and in the NFL? Parker is a similar type of guy. I mean, I just mentioned the stats since 2019, leads a league in contested catches. That's where a lot of his production comes from. I like the player. I like the trade. I think it's good value, right? In terms of two years, $12.6 million for Devontae Parker, where you're only moving back a couple of rounds in the draft. That's a great value trade for the Patriots, especially with the way that the wide receiver market has looked. And we'll get to that in a second. This is a bargain of a contract. If the player puts up 800 yards, it's a bargain of a contract, but is it the skill set that all of us have been clamoring for? And is it the skill set that is normally produced here? Not necessarily, but I do think that he has more of a repertoire and that's a big thing that I'm positive with on the move as well, is that if you look at his short and intermediate route tree, he has that ability to run a hitch, to run a slant, to run a comeback and build compliments off of just the fade. So that's what keeps guys honest is if you can run that dig route, if you can run that slant, if you can run that under now, you can't just sit all over the fade. You have to respect the fact that he might break underneath the defense. And that I think is, is something that puts him over the top in that sort of skill set that Nikhil Harry never touched that right. Nikhil Harry could never right. build the route tree. Whereas Devonte Parker has a multiple routes that he can go to in his back. Which, which was the hope that Nikhil Harry would eventually become that player, right? It just never got to that right. point. I would say, you know, look at what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, right? And, and they're making all these changes. And I think on offense, 
Josh McDaniels out the door. We know they're moving on, at least from the traditional fullback. Maybe things are changing on the offensive side of the ball, too. Yeah. I mean, that's what we really thought going in. We didn't think they were going to change on defense. That kind of came out of nowhere. We kind of suggested maybe the offensive philosophy might change a little bit with no more Josh McDaniels um, and just some of the you know personnel moves that have been made over the last couple of years. And I think we maybe lost track of that conversation with the defensive overhaul, but maybe th- maybe this is the new thing. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe they, I think they realized that what they were doing offensively last, forget the, forget the not having the talent, because I think that was only part of it. I think stylistically their passing game didn't make a ton of sense, right? The burner deep threat really only works if you throw them the ball occasionally. If you don't, teams are going to dare you to throw that because they're just seeing on tape, you're not going to do it. Right. So I, I think maybe there's a, there's a, there's a change in philosophy coming to the passing game. I still think they're going to lean heavily on the running game as they should. They've got a good offensive line. They've got great backs. They play in the Northeast. Like the running game should still be a big part of what they do. I'm sorry, Evan. I know that rips your heart out, but in terms of how the passing game is designed, I think maybe there's some philosophical shifts coming and I think it's going to be for the better. And we'll really know after the draft, especially if they take a receiver. So when you watch Mac at Alabama, Definitely more of a vertical offense at Alabama. Now, granted, that was because he had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and all these dudes out there that were running vertical routes. But at the same time, when you watched him at Bama, it it wasn't the the short and intermediate. He was chucking it, right? I mean, he was throwing the ball deep down the field. The biggest things that he attacked down the field. Throwing it down the field to receivers coming out of the slot. Yeah, slot uh, slot fades, over routes, deep crossers, whatever you want to call those, and go balls, right? That, those are a big part of Alabama's offense. And guys like Devontae uh, Smith especially, but Mechie obviously in that year too with Mac Jones, won a ton of battles down the field at the catch point. And, and I think that's where they're going for with this move is that they do want to push the ball down the field a little bit more, hopefully. And in order to do that, they're going to need some guys that can go up and get it. And I think that that's a big thing that they wanted to get out of Devontae Parker. And the biggest thing is good. No, I just think the other thing it does, and this has maybe gotten caught a little bit in the weeds, but I talked with uh, Phil Perry about this when I was on the Sunday football show on the sports hub Sunday morning. If Nelson Aguilar is not at the X, it doesn't mean he's off the field. It gives them some opportunities to move him around. And he yeah, really wasn't uh, yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. He really wasn't a true X until he got to Vegas in 2019. The idea of, you know, because I've, I've talked about this before, like they would run Mechie just vertically out of the slot at Alabama. And Mac was great with that. Mac was yeah. great because it's it's just, it's covered differently. It's a little more maneuverable as a quarterback. Take Nelson Aguilar, put him in the slot inside Devontae Parker, have Parker use his size to come over the mid. Like this is, you know, kind of a basic example, but, Parker slants over the middle that clears it out. You shoot Nelson Aguilar up the seam like that. Like that's the kind of stuff they're doing at Alabama. Those big receivers come over the middle and use their size and traffic. You take the quick receiver, you run him up the hashes where he's dealing with a slot corner or safety, not a boundary corner. Like that's, that's where max success at Alabama came from. It's where two are like, that's the Alabama offense. That's yeah. when they're at their best. That's what they're doing. They didn't really have that option in the slot. Myers is a good slot receiver, but he's, he doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the speed to play that way. If Nelson Aguilar can start taking some snaps out of the spot, out of the slot, that that could be big. That that could really change yeah. the way things move. Yeah, because I think Did a lot that of that us makes sense. Or no, yeah, I think a lot of us have been. This, this is where I was going with the next. Honestly, I wanted to talk about Nikhil Harry too, which we'll get here in a second. But 
the speed slot role that Nelson Aguilar could potentially play now that they have a true outside guy on the boundary and he doesn't have to do that. It's a big part of this trade in my mind as well, because like you said, if you watch Alabama, whether it was Waddle, Smith, Mechie, whoever it was, Mac Jones had to have had, I, I don't know the exact number. I mean, 50 plus completions off of over routes, right? Crossing routes going over the middle of the field. And like you said, it's a big, it's a different route because what you're doing really is you're attacking the safety in the middle of the field. And you're trying to right. stress a lot of teams will play it single high, especially against teams that run the ball well. And you get that over route going against a single high safety and you can run into a big pocket of space on the other side of the safety. And, and that's a big part of that offense. When you look at it and you say, okay, well, why does Mac throw that ball well? That route, as much as it's not the timing Julian Edelman, West Welker option route over the middle, you have to pace it out, right? Because the receiver is moving from left to right and you have to be able to hit the spot with the ball. You have to be able to throw it to the landmark that right. both receiver and quarterback are on. So that timing and accuracy is really important in order to make that route work. The one play that I always go back to, two plays, honestly, both crossing routes. Nelson Aguilar, that big play against the Chargers early on in the Charger game. They, yeah. The Chargers are a big three they play a lot of quarters too, but in this instance, they were in three and he ran that deep over route against cover three and Mac dropped it over the bucket of the second level and right into the window and nailed it. And they got a big play out of it. It was one of the biggest throws of the year that they had just in terms of air yards down the field. That play, I always thought to myself, well, why, why couldn't we go back to that? Because that looked like Alabama Mac Jones that he stepped up in the pocket, eluded the rush hit the deep over route, got the big play, big, big explosive. Uh, where was that? Well, the reason why they couldn't go back to is because Nelson Aguilar was playing outside and they couldn't use his speed inside. The other throw I always go back to is that underneath drag route that he ran against Atlanta for a touchdown. And they just ran that play underneath that shallow drag. And that horizontal stretch is another big thing. Waddle Smith, those guys did that a ton at Alabama with Mac Jones. So I think, Parker's flexibility and the really the best part of this trade to me is that Parker can play the X on the outside and it unlocks guys like Nelson Aguilar. If they draft a guy, Kendrick Bourne, all these guys to play in the slot. And we've seen this trend across the entire league that the speed slot is taking over, right? Tyree kill kind of started right. it, but the speed slot is, is a huge part of NFL offense nowadays and maybe the Patriots can tap into that now that they have a true outside receiver, true X in Devontae Parker. And that, I think, fits Mac Jones 110%. Like, that, that's the type of offense that they should right. be running. I never looked at Mac Jones at Alabama, I guess, is what I'm saying, and said he's the five-yard pass guy, right? Like, he's the guy that, that right. you want to you want to throw the little option routes inside and the little flares into the flats, the running backs. I mean, that was obviously in his bag. But I thought when you watched him at Alabama, the biggest thing was, was pushing the football down the field. And the Patriots just really haven't had the speed to be able to do that at the level that Alabama did. So, I mean, tell me if this is a jump here. I, I'm thinking more bigger picture because you just, you just said something that, that sort of made this click. It almost feels like, 
because you talk about the split, the speed slot taking on, right? But the big slot is now a thing too. The, the evolution of the big slot with, you know, Tyler Boyd's the first guy that comes to mind. I'm sure there's better examples, but Tyler Boyd. Yeah. I guess Anquan Jacoby Bolden. would kind of, Anquan Bolden, Jacoby Myers kind of fits in there. By the way, in that, the video from the workout today, he said he's 225 now. He was playing at 200 yeah. last year. He's, he's a move tight end at this point, as much as he's a slot guy, if he's that big. But um, anyway, I just kind of think, you know, you look at the evolution of the game and the Patriots try to stay ahead of that, right? It almost feels like the days of these small technician, you know, guy who's not necessarily a terrific athlete, but is just so technically sound. Wes Welker, right? Where, where is that guy in the league yeah. now? It feels like you've either the closest got thing to it is the closest thing to it is like Cooper Cup, right? But Cooper Cup is a bigger guy. Like he's not five ten. Pretty big, right? Yeah. So you know, it it feels like you're going to be big or you're going to be fast to play in the slot. It it almost feels like now the true technicians, those guys are playing on the outside because yeah. the outside corners now, guys like Jalen Ramsey, right? Even Trayvon Diggs, J.C. Jackson, they're such good athletes. The only way to beat them is technically you're not going to be bigger than them. You're not going to be faster than them. So it feels like what teams are doing now is they're trying to get those size or speed matchups in the slot. And they're putting the technicians on the outside to let them work on those guys. Like, I don't know if that's a jump. This is more like projecting, right? I don't know if that's a jump. And this is more than just the Patriots, but it sort of feels like that's the next evolution in NFL offenses, and it's all NFL is a living, growing organism, right? It's always evolving. It's always changing. We talked about right. a lot of the changes on the defensive side of the ball over the last 10 years on this show here in the last year or so. But that kind of feels like a change that's coming on the offensive side of the ball. Putting a guy like Nelson Aguilar in the slot versus a guy like Jacoby Myers feels very like feels like they're on the cutting edge by doing something like that. Well, they, they're probably behind the eight ball on this in general, but they're finally catching up, right? Because Tyreek Hill is is the prototype for that. I would say, honestly, maybe even a little bit before Tyreek Hill, like Deshaun Jackson was doing that like 10, 15 years ago, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's kind of it, but it wasn't, at that point, yeah. he, he, I don't think he started the trend. I think he just did that and people were like, whoa, Deshaun, like you didn't see people yeah. copying Deshaun Jackson, right? No, because it didn't start with Tyreek Hill. The biggest thing is, is that, the the concern has always been that if you put a smaller guy in the slot, he won't be able to take it, right? The wear and tear. Right. And, and Julian Edelman and Wes Welker were unique in how tough and, and physically capable they were for just absorbing contact, right? But guys like, for instance, like a, like a Tyreek Hill or their teammates now, Jalen Waddell, you know, those guys, you start running them over the middle all the time. People used to be concerned that that wouldn't, last now right. they're so fast that they just don't get hit because well, they don't get caught right i think it's so, a number of things they're they're fast the rules are different you can't right. hit them as much and the defenses are much smaller they're not like right. it would be a different thing if you're sending tyree kill over the middle against a bunch of 260 pound linebackers right you're not. Or the linebackers are 220 you know, 230 the, the days of you know rodney harrison pre you know pre rodney harrison right. and yeah. those types of guys I, I think the other big thing is here too is that when you look at the way that NFL offenses are sort of evolving into this speed slot, it's so much easier to get guys that play inside the formation off the line of scrimmage. When you play on the outside, especially in the NFL, you see so much press coverage that 
you get held up at the line, jammed, crowded at the line of scrimmage, and you can't get off the line and up the field. But when you start to move guys inside the formation, whether it's motioning them into the slot, having them in there, running them out of stack alignments, which is obviously a big Patriot thing, but also big around the league, it gets go watch, for example, even take Tyree Kill out of it. Like, let's go watch Cooper Cup with the Rams. Watch how many times Sean McVay puts Cooper Cup in a stack, right? Where he's not the, he's right. behind the point man, and it allows him to just get off the line of scrimmage and not be inhibited at the line from opening up his strides and getting up the field. So when you play closer to the formation, when you play inside, when you play out of a split, when you play out of a bunch, that allows them to protect those guys against press coverage. So now when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill or even a poor man's Tyreek Hill like in Nelson Aguilar and you have a guy that runs in the high four threes, low four fours, and he's releasing off the line of scrimmage and there's no press coverage, there's nobody jamming him at the line and he's already opening up and at eight yards he's already going 20 miles an hour. Well, good luck trying to keep up with that guy going over the middle of the field. So that's a big reason why the slot has always been a good spot to put those types of guys is because they can't see as much press coverage naturally as they do on the outside. So it means a good things. I think for now, for the rest of the receiving core, and I talked about kind of the basketball lineup and how Devonte Parker's size and that ability. I, I think that that allows you to kind of unlock some of those other guys. We do have to touch on Nikhil Harry what this means for him moving forward, what the Patriots could potentially get in the trade for him moving forward. And also does Nikhil Harry, does Devonte Parker, all of that together. How do you feel about the Patriots still drafting a wide receiver, whether it's in the first round, first two days, what have you, but starting with Nikhil, what do you do at this point? I mean, do you release him? Do you try to get what you can out of him in a trade? What do you think you could get out of him in a trade? And uh, what's the point of having Nikhil Harry on the roster at this point? So I think you bring Nikhil to camp. You have him. Because remember last year in camp, he was amazing. Do you remember that? Like yeah. we were all talking about the zit. Yeah. I, you were all talking about, by the way, I never bought in on this. Oh you were all talking about this is it. He's finally clicking. This is the year they have their receiver. Do you remember was who Nikhil Harry? So I was going to say, do you remember who he was going up against in most of those reps? Juwan wins. So yeah. Here's what you do. You bring Nikhil and Juwan to camp. You have him run a bunch of one-on-ones. You yeah. hope one of them dominates the other to the point where right. he creates enough buzz and you move him. Like, I'm serious. Like, I, I know I sound like I'm joking. They had that opportunity. So if he makes that catch against the Eagles in the preseason game and he doesn't get hurt, remember, he, he, right. he had it in his hands. He, he lands hurt. up. He gets hurt. Hurts his shoulder. If he makes that catch, I truly think that the Patriots might have gotten something for Nikhil Harry at the end of the summer. Exactly. And so I'm saying do the same thing again. Like put him out there against the fourth string. Yeah. Put him out there in, in camp, in in preseason games. Put him out there against the worst of the worst. He's gifted enough that he's going to shine. We saw it last year. Like if you put him out there against XFL, USFL guys, he's going to be the best player on the field. Right. Put him out there in those situations. Yeah. Oh, look at what Nikhil Harry's doing. There's I don't the buzz. Think, you know, you I don't get think the report. The Patriots are considering. Has, yeah. I, I don't think talent has ever been the problem, right? They, he's a talented guy. He's an NFL athlete. His issue, I think, is along with potentially off-field work ethic stuff, right? I, I drive and just want to and 
study habits and workout habits and all those kinds of things beyond all of that, which I think is important, especially here. His issue is just plain old consistency. Like he runs hot and cold, right? I mean, there's moments that you can show people if you want to try to sell them to another team, like you can go out there and you can say, Oh, look at this catch. Look at that catch. Right. I mean, there's actual catches on his tape against NFL talent in regular season games where he's going out there and making plays, but it's just so hot and cold with him that I think his focus, his consistency, his attention to detail. I think all those things are why the Patriots missed on this pick, not because of anything else. Again, put him out there against inferior opponents. Let him run it up. You get the little reports out there. The Patriots are suddenly considering giving the kill area a bigger role in the offense, right? You build, you build the, uh, you build the aura and then you pick swap him. You trade Nikhil in a seventh for a fifth. Like, I'm not saying you're going to get a ton for him, but you could maybe move up. 50 to a hundred spots on right. late on day three. And that's not, maybe you that's not insignificant for another player. Who's not panning out in his maybe. spot. Right? Like maybe, maybe it's that to me, it's the trade is Nikhil Harry in a seventh for a fifth. You can do that. Call it a win. You walk away. I, I, I think that's what you're going for. I would just, as uh, they said in the chat, I would just start sending teams that catch against the Colts last year in the regular season game. Right. Start sending it to teams. Say, hey, look, we just didn't throw him the ball, right? Because he he wasn't our type of guy. But if you throw him the ball down the field and, and he's one-on-one with the DB down the field, look at what he can do. He can go out there and make these catches. If that's part of your offense, if you are a chuck it and, and duck it type of offense, then that, he can potentially produce a little bit better in your scheme than ours. That That's the selling point. Will a team buy it? Will a team buy it? Uh, that that's a whole nother question. I want to, well, that's what I'm saying. Let him, let him go Moss Chuan. Let him go Moss Chuan for three weeks in camp. Yeah. I think more importantly than what did the Patriots do with Nikhil Harry? I, I think we all are aware that Nikhil Harry is not a part of the future in new England, whether it's by trade release, he's on the last year of his contract. They're obviously not picking up his fifth year option moving forward in the draft. The Patriots, have always been reluctant in using premium picks on wide receivers. They've only drafted seven guys in the top 100 in the Belichick era, one guy in the first round. How do you, do you think that the Devonte Parker trade, uh, I, I think on some ways the Devonte Parker trade makes it so you don't need to draft a wide receiver early, but I'm still going to make the case that they probably should draft a wide receiver early, but where do you fall on this prism? Because they haven't had good success with it they don't necessarily have an opening immediately on the roster for that guy to play. But I I think for market purposes, right. For value purposes, there's a really good argument that says that they still need to add wide receivers and and continue to look at that position. All right. Let me start with this. Jamison Williams. We need to stop with Jamison Williams. Okay. I posted my mock draft. I traded down from 21 Passing on Jamison Williams, rough look. You can't pass on Jamison Williams. What are you, an idiot passing on Jamison Williams? If he's there at 21, they should run the card up to the table. Right. I don't think he's there at 21. I don't think people understand. Like, Jamison Williams, had he not gotten hurt in the national championship, is a top 10 pick. Yeah. I, there's no debate about it. He is a top, top. He would have been right. He would have been the top receiver in this class. It wouldn't be close. He's going in the top 10. 
We're not even discussing it. And not only because all- if imagine if he didn't get hurt in that national championship game, what his stats would have been in that game. I mean, oh, he, yeah, was he was already rolling in that game too. Yeah. 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 He was already no, off. He, yeah. He's not going to be there. He's not, he's already running. Like the injury looks like less and less of a concern. He's not, he's not going to be there. If he's there again, run the card up. I'm not saying they shouldn't take him. I'm just saying, stop using Jameson Williams at 21. as like a default thing. I know right. sometimes he's there on the PFF simulator. He's not going to be there. He's just not. Yeah. Um, that all being said, I, you know, should they take a receiver in the first? I, I still think receiver is kind of that luxury need. I, and I, I think, you know, oh, this is a great receiver class. They, they won't okay. pass on a receiver. You mean like last year when it was a great class and they passed on a receiver or the year before when it was an all-time great class? It's a deep wide receiver it's, class. So I, I wouldn't say that it's at a this great, point, it's, there's no Calvin Johnson. There's no AJ Green. There's no Julio Jones. Well, there's Jason William. At this point. He wasn't hurt, right? At this point, it's it, it's all average, right? Yeah. At this point, I, I think these classes are all average. Like the class next year is going to be just as good. It's a great class next year. You've got Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Zay Flowers. You've got like, you know, next year will be loaded too. I think they bought themselves time by this by this deal. I think, you know, they can address a much bigger need in the first round, whether it's corner, whether it's um, a, line ba- a linebacker, an edge rusher. I was going to say, whether it's tackle looking ahead or whether it's guard tackle, they can address that need. I'm not against taking wide receiver high. You mentioned value. You know, I look at it. If Parker pans out, he's under contract through 2023. They have their big outside receiver. Jacoby Myers is pending free agent. And if Jacoby Myers catches 85, 90 passes again, he's going to get paid. Like he's going to get a big fat contract. And I don't think it's going to be here. I look at Sky Moore in the second round, John Mechie in the second or third round, right? Bo Melton later. Like, I'm looking. I, I don't. Th- I think this. I think they. T- I think they should take a wide receiver this year. I want to get the slot guy. Go get the slot wide receiver, who's going to learn from. And by the way, they don't have any depth behind Jacoby either, so they need somebody to back him up. I guess maybe Christian Wilkerson, but not really. Go get yeah. the slot guy this year. That guy backs up Jacoby. He takes over next year. And then next year you do the same thing on the outside. Next year you take the outside guy who will have a year behind Parker and then you go from there. So, you know, if they take Jameson Williams 21, great pick, excellent pick, but I'm more interested in slot guy on day two, maybe early on day three, like that to me is the sweet spot for wide receiver for them in this draft. I think, you know, sky Moore in the second round would be great. I think all things considered, if they can get John, uh, John Mechie end of the second, in the th- I think it's probably ultimately going to be end of the second. I think they either have to take him at 54 or move up to get him. I don't think they're getting him at 85. But if they can figure out a way to get John Mechie in the second round, that, like all things considered, is the perfect wide receiver pick for me in this draft. I'm all about that one. I, I think it's perfect for them, too, because they don't need to rush him back from the ACL. That's it, yeah. They don't necessarily need him to contribute this year coming off the injury. So it's really a pick right. for 2023 and beyond. I, I love the Mechie combo as well, but – what I want to talk about is is the value of this. And this is the pitch. If you're one of those people that wanted to draft a wide receiver beyond just the fact that you want the shiny new toy, you think the offense needs it, you think you need to keep up with the arms race. The biggest thing is, is that, and the easiest way to describe this is, is two doors, right? Door number one in the NFL right now to get an elite wide receiver talent on your roster is at a bare minimum, 
you got to pay the guy $23 million a year. On average, that's what the elite wide receivers are making per season, $23 million, which right now, until they have to pay Mac Jones, would be the most expensive player on the Patriots roster, right? If they were to add a guy like that at the top of the roster. The other thing that you have to do there is that those guys, the true number one elite guys, they don't hit free agency. They don't get into unrestricted free agency. So you have to trade for them. You have to trade a first and a second round pick for Devontae Adams. You have to trade five picks for Tyree Kill. You have to pay draft capital and investment in, in dollars and in real contract dollars for that player. That's that's door number one. Door number two is you can overpay for guys that are good but not great in free agency. Nelson Aguilar, Christian Kirk, 29-year-old Allen Robinson for $20 million a year. That, that That's the other option. And the Patriots, quite frankly, have been more into that, trying to find the best value in that door right now, right? Aguilar, Bourne, Parker, you know, that's kind of where they've been living. Door number three is that the best non-quarterback bang for your buck right now in the NFL is a wide receiver on a rookie contract, a productive wide receiver on a rookie contract. Those guys are making a fraction of what they are truly valued at on the open market. And it's not just guys at the top of the draft, because I think that's where this sort of gets skewed, is that you look at it and you say, okay, well, obviously if the Patriots could draft in the top five and get a Jamar Chase-level talent, that wide receiver, then that's a great return on investment. But if you even look at where the Patriots are drafting at 21, that's right in the range of CeeDee Lamb. That's right in the range of Justin Jefferson a few years before that. Those guys are such tremendous value on their rookie contracts that you don't necessarily need to pay the $23 million to have that number one production. So in a lot of ways, just like we talk about, oh, well, the Patriots have this great thing going with Mac Jones on his rookie contract. The other great thing that they could have going is a wide receiver on the rookie contract, because you're not going to get that elite level talent unless you go through door number one, which is pay through the nose for it in multiple ways, or you go through door number three and you invest a draft pick in it. You got to get it right. That That's a big part of this. You got to get the pick right in the draft with any position, but that's the, that's the selling point. If you want to follow the money and you look at what the surplus value is in drafting wide receivers early in the draft, it's tremendous because those guys that produce over a thousand yards are getting paid 15 plus million dollars a year and you're getting them for five. And that's tremendous value. So if you're Bill Belichick and you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I'm never going to go through door number one, I'm not going to pay five picks and $30 million for Tyree kill. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not disagreeing with that. Like I think that that, that's probably not the best way to go, but if you're never going to go through door number one, the only way that you're going to get that level of comparable talent is to go through door number three. And if you keep on just ignoring the draft at the wide receiver position, you are never going to get the guy. You So I, I'm not necessarily saying that they have to take a guy at 21, I, I but I do think that they need to take a guy with a premium pick. And you mentioned that, okay, you have Devontae Parker under contract for next year. That's your ex. That's your outside guy. Sure. The inside guys are a little bit more murky. Nelson Aguilar, inside, outside, whatever you want to call him, free agent, Jacoby Myers, 
unrestricted free agent. You still have Kendrick Bourne on a contract. So no matter what, when you look at it from a long-term prism as well, you, you're going to need to add a wide receiver here in the next two years right. on the team. You're going to need to add two. Yeah, at least. You have, in all likelihood, you're probably trading or getting rid of Nikhil Harry. Gunnar Olszewski is gone. So you only have four wide receivers on the roster anyway. There's a spot for one anyways in this year's draft uh, draft class. I understand the reservations. I understand they have other needs, but I think when you look at it across the board, you have to get at some point, the Patriots have to get a young wide receiver, a productive guy on a rookie. Like how many of these guys are going to come into the NFL through the draft before they get one of their own. Right. It's just crazy. Right. To look around across the league at how many of these guys have coming in. And I think the biggest thing for the Patriots when it comes to wide receivers, and this is the end of my rant here, isn't necessarily that they don't know how to evaluate wide receivers. It's that they don't actually try that hard to draft wide receivers. Because if you look at the teams that are the best at this, the Steelers, teams like that, they also have great investment at the position. So at some point in time, you have to invest in that position in order to get something out of it. And if you just keep on looking for seventh round guys like Trey Nixon or looking for UDFAs like Jacoby Myers, you're not going to be able to ever get where you need to go. And that's the game nowadays. Do you want to trade the capital that the Raiders or the Dolphins gave up for their guy? Or do you want to take a stab at 21 on Chris Olave and hope that he turns into your guy? I mean, those are the two options that you have. My guess is, though, is that Bill Belichick probably thinks that wide receivers don't matter <laughs> to a degree and thinks that all of it's overrated. But I, I do think in today's game, you need to keep up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I, and again, it's, it's some of it's the way the board falls, too, right? You know, I, just because you take a wide receiver in the first round doesn't mean he's going to be that guy. Right. And I don't know. You know, with the momentum they built last year, I don't know that this team can afford another Nikhil Harry situation where they can afford to miss. So let's say they, you know, they like Alave, they like Williams. Those guys are gone. Should they force Jahan Dotson if they don't believe in him just to get that guy? Like that, that's again, where I think that's the benefit of the Devontae Parker trade to me is that if you're not a hundred percent convinced that the guy that you have are thinking about taking is going to pan out for you. And I know you're never a hundred percent convinced, but you know what I mean? If you're not really uh, confident about it, now they don't have to reach on a wide receiver because they have enough NFL talent on the roster to not have to reach. But if Jamison Williams is there, if Chris Olave is there, if you get into the second round and you're on the clock at 54 and you, and Sky Moore is there, or you feel great about John Mechie and his health and his evaluation, now you can find the the right marriage between the board and what you're looking for and line those things up. But I said, you got to take some stabs. Like you can't just sit back and not do, not do it at all. It doesn't have to be in the first round, but you've got to start to take some bites at the apple here. So again, that, and that's like, I agree with you, but there's a, there's a fine line between that. And it's just forced like picking players for the sake of picking them without going off the evaluation. That's why you get in, I think day two, early on day three, is the the spot to go. And I, for all of their issues with receivers, you know, big picture, they've been okay with slot guys. Granted, a lot of them were undrafted, but they, 
Edelman's, I guess, yeah. his own thing, if you want to say that. Seven. But yeah, they found Myers. They found Braxton Berrios, who's turned into a decent player, right? Um, and I don't say Edelman undrafted. Edelman was a quarterback is what I meant. Um, yeah. But, no, the unbranch in the second round is probably their best pick ever. Like, I know Edelman is their best wide receiver pick. Well, this just, just, where just he was drafted, recently, but... I would say, I mean, would you say Braxton Berrios is a starting caliber slot receiver? I don't know that he's an all pro, but he, he's a slot receiver. Yeah. As slot no, no, receiver, would you say probably. he's a top 32 slot receiver in the league? Probably. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in the last five years in the time we've been on the beat, they found two starting caliber slot receivers in Myers and Barrios. Right. Yeah. I trust that if that's what they're going to do, I trust them more in the slot than I do on the outside. I like this slot draft, especially rounds two, three, four. That that's where I want to see him take the receiver. Go get an immediate day one playmaker or a potential franchise left tackle in the first round. Right. That's if, in, unless it's penning, which I'd be into penning unless it's penning based on who we think is going to be on the board, go get somebody who's going to be a factor year one, week one in the first round. And then yeah. on day two, go get the slot guy. That, yeah. that to me is the, I like that's that play the, the picture. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just finding the sweet spot on the inside guy in day two, I think is going to be a little bit difficult unless they're all in on Mechie, which I, I think we would all be fine with. He's really the best one there. I like Khalil Shakur from Boise State, too. Uh, what my concern is with guys like Sky Moore and Khalil Shakur, who I think are both good players, Sky a little bit higher, obviously, than, than Khalil Shakur, is Shakir, for them Shakir. personally, uh, not, not very good three-cone testers, not very good agility testers in general. In the past, that role has always been like a six-seven three-cone guy, right? Like Julian Edelman, uh, Welker, Amendola, uh, I think Dion Branch probably ran a great three cone back in the day. So those two guys did not test particularly well in agility testing. So they're more vertical slot receivers as well. I don't know if they're necessarily the jitterbug types, but we talked about it earlier in the show and maybe that's where they're going, right? Maybe they're going away right. from the, the true underneath jitterbug and they're going into more of a vertical element in that role. So well, how about, how about Wandale then? I love Wandale. You know my concerns with Wandale. My my concerns with Wandale is usage and length, right? He just he doesn't have long arms. He's got a really small catch radius. And early on in his career, maybe if you're gonna develop him behind Jacoby and you don't necessarily have to put him out on the field week one, it will be a little bit better. But you what does his role look like without a true offensive coordinator? Right. Are they going to be able to use him properly before Troy Brown gets with him in the bag and, and gets his route running to where it needs to be for him to be a true slot? Where are they going to use him? How are they going to use him? That that does, you know, concern me a little bit, especially with their coaching staff. I'm just I'm just like because the other thing, too, when you've seen it outside of one pick in Kyle Duggar, they've been Rutgers, Alabama. Yeah. Oklahoma. I mean, they're going for blue chippers, whereas that's kind of where I wonder if they'd have pause. Sky Moore, Western Michigan, Khalil Shakir, Boise State, Wondell yeah. Robinson, Kentucky, SEC, a good Kentucky team. Another yeah. thing, and this isn't just the Patriots, a lot of NFL teams do that, do this. When you and it's something to watch leading up to this draft. When you see programs that aren't traditionally dominant, right? And Kentucky's not traditionally dominant in football. They are an SEC school. They're towards the bottom of the SEC. When you see programs that aren't traditionally dominant go on these three to four year runs where they suddenly get themselves on the map, a lot of times NFL teams will 
will see that and see, okay, there's a player or players in that class that create that, that sparked this both on the field and off the field. Cause a lot of that is culture too. Right. And Kentucky's coming off a pretty successful three-year run here. And there's a lot of Kentucky guys in this draft that makes sense for the Patriots. Wandale, um, Darian Kennard, Josh Pascal, Yusuf Corker. Uh, there, there's a ton. Of, there's, I know there's more. But anyway. From Kentucky, yeah. Mar- Marquand McCall, too. Marquand McCall, thank you. Yeah. Kentucky's one of these schools where they were kind of a basement team in the SEC. In the last three years, they really got it going. And they I kind think, of remind me of UNC and the ACC a little bit, where like they have so much NFL talent, but they haven't necessarily hit that that well, stride in terms of being a ranked team. That's because they didn't have a quarterback. They, they have so pass heavy offense without a quarterback. Where's Sam Howell supposed to go again? Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. But just I, like that UNC team, like two years ago, with Diamond Brown and the running backs, and like that team right. was absolutely loaded with NFL talent. This Kentucky team feels kind of the same. They really do. But again, it's that. This year's class that's coming out established that, right? Yeah. Somebody brought up Cincinnati. Cincinnati's another really good one. Cincinnati's yeah. coming to the end of this really run. Obviously, well they're the first yeah. right, non-Power 5 school. Like, like that's a three-year run that pops out compared to what Cincinnati normally is. So teams are going to look at that and say, there's something about the class that came in three years ago that's special. I'm trying to think of other examples uh, that are on some of those runs. Like, I can think going back, like the chip – Kelly Oregon teams, right? Like those players shot up draft boards because there was just something about the culture during that window that teams wanted to be a part of. Honestly, I think Oklahoma, I think you're going to see the number of draft picks from Oklahoma after this year plummet because that program is going through a monster shift right now. So I don't remember why I started on this, but it's, it's just something to watch when you, you know, yeah. you can go through, if I'm missing one, like mention it in the chat. Maybe I missed it. Somebody brought it up. If there's a program that's not a traditional powerhouse that is on the back end of like a three to four year, like, you know, run teams are going to, teams are going to look at that. And there's players that maybe would be like late day three picks that move up into the middle of that round, or maybe third round picks that move up into the second round or things like that, because teams want to tap into whatever that recruiting class did to help elevate that program. By the way, in the chat, we took Christian Watson in our mock draft on Thursday and our guy uh, D twenty two wasn't wasn't there. He didn't see us take his guy. <laughs> Come on, uh, I see the guy. People in the chat talking about Christian Watson. We talked about him a lot on Thursday. We we drafted him in the second round. We, yeah, I like Christian Watson oh. too. Yeah, good. I'll, I'll I'll give you um two more of these programs that are on on rises right now because I just pulled up the the top twenty three actually that are, that I remember Oklahoma State. I think it's a really big year for Oklahoma State guys in the draft. They've had some Houston, good NFL players before this, too. They have, but they kind of went through a lull a couple yeah. of years ago, and they're kind of back down. Um, Houston. Oh, yeah. Houston had a great run. We haven't talked about years. Marcus Jones much on the podcast, yeah, but we will. Marcus Jones, Taylor Hall, yeah. like that. Um, even to Eric King, who ultimately transferred, coming out of Miami, and he met with the Patriots. Houston just had a massive culture shift. They were, you know, a fringe mid-major team, not mid-major, a group of five team, they're now moving to the Big 12. They just had a great run. The other one, Evan, you're laughing at me, and this is maybe more next year than this year, but there's a couple guys from this team in this draft. Coastal. Coastal Carolina. No. Well, Coastal is a lot of I love watching Coastal now. I, this is sort of something that I, I like to do a little bit in the offseason, is watch teams that whose schemes are just way ahead of the curve in college. 
because yeah. more so when they had McDaniels, but even now, you know, they, they, they'll probably dip into some of those college offenses to try to pull some things. It's not like they're going to reinvent their whole offense around a team like Coastal, but Coastal's scheme, wide open, zone run based, obviously, but a lot of the things that they do at Coastal is all the trends, right? Like that's like what all the nerds want everybody to do is what Coastal's already doing. They're really ahead of the curve type of uh, team and, and type of program. It's a it's a really fun team, uh, especially on offense, to watch them play. So again, what I'm saying, like, and I know we're kind of off the rails here, but this is what we like. This is the best content on the show when we get into like the theory of how teams are built or how schemes are built. I think that's when we're really in our bag on this show. So there's, I think, three coast. I'm trying to pull it up. There's three coastal players in the draft this year. Isaiah Likely, who's a local kid, by the way. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Gunter, who's a, a day three edge rusher. And uh, I can't pronounce his name. They have a wide receiver who's supposed to go in the seventh round. Next year, dude, Grayson McCall should be a top five yeah. quarterback off the board. Anyway, my point being, Coastal was... All, Coastal was an FCS program not that long ago. And they, you know, they had in 2020 the game against BYU, Mormons versus Mullets. They got on the precipice of the college football playoff. They had another great year this year. If I'm an NFL team, I look at that program who went from nothing to becoming one of the most, you know, must-watch programs in college football. And you, those guys love playing there. You can tell. They love playing there. They love playing for the coach, all that. I look at what happened there and think, I want some of that in my locker room. How do I grab a guy who enjoys playing football and has that much buy-in? How do I get somebody with that mental makeup in my locker room? Like, I think Coastal, man, that, that's going to become like, they're going to have a little blip here as a little bit of an NFL factory, I think, for the next couple of years. And then we'll see what happens, however long the coach yeah. stays there. And I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, fun school. Uh, really quickly before we sign off here, and uh, you can get on me for not liking the Masters and not liking golf here in a second too, Alex. But uh, first yeah. and foremost, uh, I, I got to I gotta get this out. The fact that we are talking about the Patriots taking a guard in the first round is driving me up an absolute wall. This team needs talent on defense. They need talent on the wide receiver position, the offensive skill position, and they are going to take a, a position that inherently, even if you're Quentin Nelson, even if you're Zach Martin, just inherently does not move the needle. Like it does not change you as a team. It does not make you significantly better. And this team needs guys. This guy, this team needs studs. They need blue chippers. They need dudes, right? They don't need Zion Johnson. I'm sorry. They don't need Zion Johnson right now. When you Couple the fact that they need top end of the talent roster, uh, roster talent at the top on offense and on defense and guard is not a premium position on top of all of that. You have a trend, not only around the NFL, but it's also hit home here in new England that you can get starting caliber guard play on day two and day three easily especially in a deep offensive line draft like this one. Joe Tooney, third-round pick. Shaq Mason, fourth-round pick. Ted Karras, sixth-round pick. David Andrews, undrafted free agents at center. All great players on the interior. Go look at Kansas City and how they built rebuilt their offensive line last year, much better than the year before. All day three guys besides um, 
I'm blanking on the center. Landon Dickerson was not a day three guy. No, Joe Tooney. Lander did. Not Landon Dickerson. Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey was a day two guy. Day two. Uh, was he? I thought he was day one. I'm pretty positive. They, you have built this oh, offense. So Joe Tooney. I know Joe Tooney was picked in the round. third round, but they, they gave, they had to pay him a lot of money. You're right. Creed Humphrey was 53rd overall. Yeah. But eventually down the road, you might have to pay that guy. I'm just saying to find that guy in the draft. There's really no there's no precedent or prior history of a guy that's drafted in the first round that's panned out versus a guy that's drafted on day three that's panned out being so significantly better than the day three guy that the team is like multiple wins better because they have Quentin Nelson versus having Michael on Wenu at guard. Right? It, it just that gap is just so narrow that if you think that Zion Johnson is the best pick at 21 or Kenyon green is the best pick at 21 green, then we just disagree wholeheartedly because that is not going to move the needle for the Patriots. That is not going to make the Patriots compete with Buffalo. You think drafting Zion Johnson is going to help the Patriots in a playoff game again against the bills or against the chiefs or against any one of the powers in the AFC please not going to do anything to help the Patriots in that game. They need to go out there and get premium talent. That's all I'm saying. You're, you're, are you on the guard? You're okay with the guard in the first round. I, I mean, I think you have to see the bigger picture. If they go like guard and then they get Mechie and then they get like Marcus Jones or Tariq Woolen or Zion McCollum, right? That works for me. I'm good with that. They got, you know, some big time playmakers and they, they, it's still a need. You have a young quarterback. You need to protect him. You're also going to be a pretty run heavy team. You need good guards. Like if they go guard and then like a project player. Yeah. I'm going to feel a little off about that. So I, I'd have to say the whole thing. I'd love to hear you give that whole rant to like Logan Mankins or Joey and Jersey what or whatever. Logan Mankins, they drafted Logan Mankins. Right. And, and that was the biggest gap that they had all, all the the entire dynasty to win a Super Bowl, right? They didn't win a Super Bowl with Logan Makins on the roster. And he was a great guard, don't get me wrong, but was Logan Makins changing the equation for the Patriots or was he just a really good guard, right? And I, I think people come at me and they're like, oh, what about Logan Makins? Oh, if John Hanna was available at 21, you wouldn't draft him. Like, obviously, if the best guard in the history of the NFL was there at 21, I would probably be okay with them drafting him. But in all likelihood, what you're going to get at 21 at the guard position is an above average offensive line. I'm just, everybody just bookmark. Can somebody like write, if you're watching this, write down the date and in the, the time code, I think we're at like an hour and a minute. Exactly. And when Drew Desjardins is getting blown up in October and Max getting his ass kicked. But, but you know that they're going to, gonna, you know, they're going to take a guard at some point or a player that can play guard at some point. And I'm totally on board. Not with a very that. deep guard draft. It, 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 I disagree. I think it is a decent guard draft. I don't I don't want one of these tackles that's like, oh, he's not good enough to play tackle, so let's stick him at guard. No, I mean, but that... They okay. need a guy who can play Along table. those lines for a second, though, that's exactly what they did with Makins and exactly what they did with Joe Tooney. Makins was a college no, tackle. No, Tooney was a guard. Tooney was a guard in college. Co- Tooney was a college tackle. Go Are look at sure? it up. 100%. College tackle. They moved him inside. Sean Ryan, one of those guys, Jamari Saylor from Georgia, who I had in my mock draft today, one of those guys, college tackles, 
move them inside to guard because they have limitations at tackle. And those guys are great players. So let me, let me, third round guys, fourth round guys. So let's say Williams, Olave, Wyatt, Hill, they're all off the board of 21. Johnson, you're trading down. Point blank. Uh, That's what I was going to ask you. All right. Yes. If the best player on your board is Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green or uh, Lindbaum, who is a, a center, by the way, Linderbaum. Well, Linderbaum, not not big, he's not big enough to play guard. He That's fine if they pass yeah. on Look, I'm not saying I want them to take a guard at 21. I'm just saying there's significantly worse picks they could make at 21. Uh, that at least, here's okay. the thing. The only worst pick that they can make at 21 is running back. That's it. They, they, they can literally make... What if the they take only, an edge rusher? So if they take an edge rusher and then bury him behind Uche and Perkins and all these guys different. like they've done on what, day what two. What you do with them after the fact is different. If they take a guy like Jermaine no, but Johnson. That's part, of the, but that's part of the picture. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay, that's fine. If they, like, of all the positions in theory, yes, guard has the least value. But that's not, you have to factor in the intent. Also, by the way, you just said running back is the worst pick. I'm holding you to that. You'd rather take a rise at 21 than a guard. I am holding you to that. We have it on tape. Um Intent in a rise or a guard at 21, Evan. Guard, but I say it reluctantly. No, no, no. Flip the field. I just, it's I, different. The, it's different intent, I think you're, we're having two different conversations, right? One conversation. The conversation you're having doesn't make sense. You can't why just it say, because what you're saying is, why, you know, let's don't take a start. Like, you're okay if they take a backup instead of taking a starter. The no. whole thing after what they did in the draft last what year, I'm the whole point is, is immediate impact players, right? Immediate impact players. A guy who comes in and starts 17 games, even if it's a guard, is an immediate impact player. I'm not saying it's my favorite pick, but the last thing you're going to beat Buffalo, you're going to beat the Raiders, you're going to beat Miami. I'm not saying it's a great pick. You're going to beat all these teams. I'm not saying it's a great pick. You're going to beat Kansas City. You're going to beat the Chargers. You're going to beat the uh, the Broncos. You're going to beat all these teams because you drafted Zion freaking Johnson in the first round. Hell no. Hell no. You but, will but here's what I'm telling you. 40 to nothing you again to, like you did last are you, year. Are you going to beat any of those teams if you take an edge rusher who is buried on the depth chart and plays what 20% they do of with afterwards now? is not part of the conversation here. But that's it has to no. can't talk but about this not, without because that. I, can't I just think that's a dumb way to talk afterwards. about this. Okay. If they but if you're gonna take an edge rusher in the first round and bury him that's on you right that's on bill that's on the coaching staff but they've done right? it, but they've done not in the first round but they i don't want to see that in the top 100 if they're going to take an edge rusher it's got to be you guys going to come in and play right away i think look i think josh uche has upside i think ronnie I'm perkins is upside yeah it's the reason i'm not talking of- about taking nick bonito in the first round right if you take if you take jermaine johnson if you boy, somehow boy, get boy, your, Maffe. boy Maffe. boy Maffe at the end of the, the first, first round, round all for it and then he's going to sit. He's going to sit behind Josh Uche and Ronnie Perkins. If he sits and behind Josh Uche and Ronnie Perkins, then that's on Bill. That's not on Boy Mafia. But, that, but that's what I'm. But that is exact. But that's what I'm telling you. I think you, when we're talking about this pick, I think it has to be the whole. That that's the whole conversation. Give me a guy who's going to play ninety percent of your snaps versus twenty. I don't. At that point, I don't care about the position. If we're talking starter, like starter to starter, then yeah, I think they could go a lot of different. When you have ways that the God, Patriots the have. Give me a guy no who's going to play. Give me a guy they need quarters. They need front seven impact defenders. Agreed. Agreed. They need a tackle down the road. They need Agreed. wide receiver help. 
and you're going to take a guard. And and look, I get it. If you think that the guard is generational, if you think the guard is so good that you just can't pass it up, then fine. Then take the guard because he's the best player on the board, yada, yada, yada. I won't agree with it, but go for it, and he'll probably be a very solid player for the Patriots if they pay him after his rookie contract. They'd probably be a good player for 10 years here in New England, right? Right. But it is not going to help you in the long run beat any of the teams that are in front of you right now in the AFC if you have a guard that's an all-pro. It's not going to matter. All I'm saying, and people say I'm screaming for a guard. That's not what this is. The first round pick, pending I'm not saying, And I'm not saying reach. I'm just saying if you have a guard, if you come up at 21 and Zion Johnson is the best player on your board, then trade down so that somebody else is the best player on your board. I would, I would agree. I would agree. But it, at the same time, I would say first round pick, whether it's corner, receiver, guard, linebacker, whoever. 70% usage rate minimum. That needs to be the opportunity there. How to the coaching you, staff. Unless, unless they take Penning. That's the one exception. If they take Penning and he's going to, if they think he's a generational tackle, a franchise tackle, and he's going to sit behind win for a year and then slide in, I'm fine with that. Outside of that, has to be a 70% usage rate. Guy. Like this was the whole thing last year. We were waiting and waiting and waiting for an immediate impact rookie. It had been years really since they did that, done that. And they got three of them. They need to do that again. They yeah, need to, and, and you know what? I would rather take an immediate impact starting guard than an edge rusher who's going to spend the majority of his rookie year on special teams. That's just that. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. I if it comes down to a trade down, trade down. I agree with you on that. But whoever they take in the first round's got to play. Talk to the coaching staff. If a guy doesn't play, that's on them. That's not on the evaluation. That's not on the draft strategy. That's not on the thought process. But isn't, but isn't behind that the part play. of the draft strategy? Don't you have to draft it when you you don't just draft a guy like not in the first round. Maybe in later rounds they do this. You don't draft a guy and then say, "All right, now what are we well, doing with him?" Like, I guess like my point is that. that that's on. You have to draft, you have to have if, a they, plan. if they don't feel like Boye Moffitt can play for them in year one, if they don't feel like. I, you know, go down the road, Andrew Boot Jr., Dax Hill, Kiri Elam, whoever it is, right? If they right. don't feel like that guy can play in year one for them, then that's on them for no, like they know that going in, right? Like that's on them, right? Is what is my, this, my point. What I'm saying is this has been an issue the last, this is, I think, why they're in the, pro, the spot they are besides yeah. last year's draft. I think they had a habit of drafting guys who they liked without really having a plan and it, it, it throws off the development. Nikhil Harry, Juwan Williams, Chase Winovich. Like, they, they, I don't necessarily think those guys were bad prospects. Juwan Williams didn't see the field until, until year three. Yeah. And I'm not saying if he played right away, he would have been great. But that's, that screws with the development. Chase yeah. Winovich wasn't a scheme fit. They liked him, but they tried to turn him into a completely different player. They did the same thing with Nikhil Harry. All I'm saying is if you draft a guy, have a plan. And it might be easier to do that at guard than some other positions. That's 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 my point. I'm not saying they should take a guard. I'm just saying I hope they don't just say, well, you know, edge wide receivers a premium position. So we're going to take Jahan Dotson and then just butcher Jahan like with no idea no, how they're going to develop no, no, no. and how they're going to use him in the but offense. That's if, what that's if all you I'm saying. feel if you feel like if there's a corner on the board, 
if there's any really a player at any level of the defense. Like if you want names, right. like if Devontae Wyatt or Devin Lloyd or Keir Ilham is on the board at 21 and the Patriots pass on that guy to draft an interior offensive lineman, then that's a mistake. Fine. It's a mistake. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, okay. That I agree with. If Jamison but, Williams on the board, mistake to draft anybody else besides Jamison Williams. That that's I guess where my more my point is with so, this. Okay, is that I? That's fair. You need impact guys that move the needle for you, and offensive line. And we've we've seen this in New England for so many years. That offensive line is so much about the sum of the parts, the five guys working together on a string seeing it through the same set of eyes, the big words up in the O-line room in, in Foxborough at one Patriot place, see it through the same set of eyes. If you have five guys that this is why Ted Karras played last year over Mike on right? Because chemistry continuity, right. Playing together is more important than overall raw talent. So if you have five guys on your offensive line that all do it at a good level and all see it through the same set of eyes, it doesn't matter where those guys are drafted. You can put together good offensive line play. But what you can't do is get players at other positions, at premium positions, later on the draft and hope that they pan out to be as good as the guys at the top because that usually doesn't work out, especially nowadays. So that that's my, my main point here is that I know that the Patriots, especially with Dante Scarnecchia helping them out, is going to be able to – find them a starting caliber guard in the third round or the fourth round, somewhere around there, fifth round, sixth round, whatever. Mike Onwenu is in the sixth round. I know that they'll be able to find that guy there. So picking him at 21 just seems like such a waste of a first round pick, especially with where their roster is right now. That's And we've spent I, 25 no. minutes on this now. So I no, that's, that's, I know it's a good conversation. I totally agree. I, I think we're, we're, we're ultimately just arguing two different points here. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just no, saying. I get what you're saying. You don't yeah. want them to draft Boy Mafa and have him sit on the bench for two years because he doesn't set the edge well enough or something. Right. Don't just draft. Don't just be like, don't just draft a shiny new. T- you Don't just draft a player because he pops on tape unless you know what you're going to do with him. Right? Yeah. That's my point. It's we're going to draft this guy. He's going to come in. He's going to play this role on the offense, or he's going to play in this package defensively. We're going to give him this assignments. He does like, basically here's the thing. When you draft, when they draft a guy in the first round, again, Penning's the one exception to this. Cause I think tackles just such an important position, right? Yeah. When they draft a guy in the first round, here's the, here's the question that immediately needs to be answered. What does he have? that nobody else on the roster has. What is he going to add to the team that nobody else is going to add? We should immediately be able to answer that Is he your starting outside corner? Is he your starting Mike linebacker? You know, where is he going to play? What role is he going to play in? Absolutely. Right. So that, that, that's that, that to me, ultimately, like that's a lot how I evaluate at least top 100 draft picks. What is this guy adding to the team? What is his role going to be immediately? What does he do that they need done? That that's all I'm saying. Just I guess please I'm just answer talking. that question with the 21st. I guess my point is yeah. technically a guard answers that question, right? Hypothetically, if they drafted Kenyon Green, he's gonna start at left guard, right? right? That answers the question. Now, is that the best use of that pick? I don't think so. Probably not, but at least he answers that question. That's I finally figured out how to actually articulate this. 25 Yeah, no, I, I get I get what just you're answer saying. Answer that question. Yeah. The problem is, is I don't think Kenyon Green at 21 playing left guard does you anything jack. 
Because you're Jack against Buffalo. So you're, you're saying there are other there are other guys who will, who will answer that question, right? There are other there are guys other, who will answer that I question think later in the draft. There's enough good players in this yeah. draft that there's going to be a stud at a different position available at 21 that would help your team significantly more in the grand scheme of winning football games than a guard. That that's, that's what I'm saying is that the positional value at the position is not good enough to justify a team that needs talent on both sides of the ball at the top of the roster and just needs studs. They, they don't have the flexibility. They are not one of these teams that's picking at the back of the first round. Like, for example, if Cincinnati, well, they, they shirt up their offense, offensive line a lot in free agency. But, like, just for argument's sake, if a team like Cincinnati yeah. took a guard in the first round, it would make all the sense in the world. They have no holes, right? They, right. Their roster is great. They're just in the Super Bowl. The Patriots aren't there yet. Maybe the Patriots in three or four years can take a guard in the first round like they did with Logan Mankins, right? Because their roster right. was stacked. So they took a guy that was the best player available that had a role day one, like you're saying. This team still needs to just add talent. They still need to collect talent in the draft. That's and fair. they definitely need to have roles. They definitely need to have a path on the field. But they most importantly need to be that elite level, that elite tier of talented guys. And if that's the way that they need to go, it's not going to be a guard. Uh, we went way over. If you want to give me grief about the Masters, you can. Or you can do it on Thursday, which will probably I, go look, I just – Evan's not excited about Tiger Woods playing the Masters. I'm excited. About, I'm more excited about Tiger playing in the Masters, but I'm not excited about the Masters now. But you say that, but then, like, we're texting earlier, like, oh, I'll watch the back nine on Sunday. Like, that's not what it is. Would you watch Tom Brady only in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl? Obviously, that's the best part, but... No, but I'm much more entertained by football this for is, the other three hours that I'm sitting is, there. But as, just as a sports fan, because you're not just a football fan, you are a sports fan. This is the greatest of all time on the biggest stage. Returning after two years off, He's a year removed from a car accident, which he nearly lost his leg. I'm not talking it's about just, Tiger. I'm just talking it's about the incredible theater. The whole thing. If it, again, like I said to you earlier, if it's the back nine on Sunday at Augusta and Tiger Woods is a shot off the lead, I'll have it on my TV. Until then, I don't need Thursday but through it's, Saturday. It's getting sure. there. It's it's the process of getting there. That's the the it's the journey. It's the journey. Like it's the journey. I know that sounds cheesy, but that's what it is. No, it's right. not. I, you're, you're just, you hate no. fun. You're, you're not going to get it. I, I shouldn't have expected like you to get it. You I hate just fun. can't. I, I can't do it unless it's the end of the tournament and there's, there's real stakes. I just can't, I can't get up for it. I just can't. I, I understand people that like it. I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't figure it out. All right. Thursday, I'm actually going to run along with Alex, the uh, Patriots draft board. So if you want me in the room or you don't want me in the room, you can still figure out what we do in the draft on Thursday for our third mock draft of the year, of the offseason here. First one, we we got – I think the first two did not go particularly well at they the did. top of the draft. It's going to go and better this time. I'm going to take a different strategy on this. I'm going to let Alex – for sure make the pick in the first round. I think Alex, you you tend to to stick more at 21 than I do. I'm like, we're getting out of here, right? There's no there's nobody good left trade trade out of here. We got to take a pick at 21 and we have to be able to 
find somebody at 21 that's worth it. That, that's my goal in this draft, uh, in this mock draft. If it doesn't work out again, I'm going to be a little bit upset because we haven't been able to just stick at 21 and, and take a good player. So on Thursday, mock draft 3.0 live here on Patriot Speed. So come see us then, and you can tell us how awful or how good or whatever you want to do <laughs> about running a draft board we are. And it's going to be and a by lot the of way, fun. You're not allowed to get mad at me for making trades that are too convoluted. Not after that Eagle Saints trade. That vindicated me. When I saw that trade and I saw all the draft picks exchanging hands, I was like, somebody smarter than me that's better with math, just tell me if it's fair or not, and that's all I care about, right? Like, I just don't care. The Eagles Eagles won that. They keep turning Carson Wentz into first-round picks. It's really impressive. Shout-out to them for that. All right. All right. So we'll see you guys on Thursday, Mock Draft 3.0. We're looking forward to it. See you guys then. And thanks so much for watching. Until then, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. We'll see you next time, everybody.